0: Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast Scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at northeastscene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we're back with a special Halloween episode of the Northeast Scene. Tommy, are you terrified? Are you scared? Are you shaking in your boots right
1: now? I don't have boots on, but yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, for this creepy terrifying, scary episode of the show. We have a very very scary band The Beautiful Mistake or Tommy, should I say The boo Mistake
1: Ugh (laughs) Call Gary, he could have made that joke
0: (laughs) Well we have spoken to the gentleman in The Beautiful Mistake It's a very fun conversation, a lot of great stories. Excellent band You are not going to be disappointed
1: You might be, I mean, you know Tommy, <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to. Give you, I have
0: to put you through some rigorous Northeast scene training. <laughs> you don't know how to do this. You have to speak highly of the show all the time, no matter what.
1: I'd rather be honest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, we don't do that here. Do you like the Halloween sounds I have for our? Halloween no, it's episodes? way too long. It's so long.
1: It's so long. I was just about to yell. I'd be like, "Why is this still happening in the background?" <laughs>
0: I'm going to leave it on for the whole first segment. Ugh, okay. Tommy, what do, do you have, do anything for Halloween? What do you got planned? I Now, this weekend, I'm going to... This Sunday, which is actual Halloween, I'm going to watch Halloween. I'm going to watch Halloween 2. And I'm going to watch the Halloween 2016 film that came out, which was very good. Now, Tommy, we didn't get a chance to talk about it before when I mentioned this, but Halloween 2016 forgets all the other sequels, and we go directly from Halloween 1 to this new movie. And it's good. And there's podcasters in the movie, Tommy, like us. I've never seen it. I highly recommend it.
1: I'll have to check it out, because the last one I saw was the uh, Rob Zombie one. Yeah, watch this
0: 2016 one. You won't be disappointed. I don't know that I'll actually sit down to watch three movies in a row, but I'm going to try. I haven't done anything like that in a long time. I like it. I like this time of year... Uh, I don't watch a ton of horror anymore because, I don't know, I just get unsettled too easily and, you know, it just bums me out if, like, innocent people or kids die, that kind of stuff. I can't handle it anymore, but Halloween is not that violent. I don't know. There's not a lot of blood and stuff. I can handle it. I've seen it a million times.
1: It's the implied violence. Like, it's like, the knife goes up and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody's on the floor. Like, it's kind of like that kind of thing. Yeah,
0: and he strangles most people to death.
1: I actually, there's a couple of horror movies that really unsettle me than the biggest one. And this is one of those ones that I know uh, a couple people are going to be upset about. The Devil's Rejects really makes me nervous.
0: (laughs) That's a very unsettling movie.
1: That movie makes me like really um, uncomfortable in a a good way. But like it hits a note like where I actually have to kind of like normally when I watch TV in bed, especially like I'm laying down, like I'm like, you know, conscious of what's happening. And like, this is that movie makes me sit up straight and be very aware of what's happening around me. <laughs> like it, That movie makes me really nervous.
0: House of a thousand corpses and the devil's rejects are both very unsettling. When I left the theater after seeing house of a thousand corpses for the first time, I couldn't stop thinking about it. it okay. I was like,
1: what? So house of a thousand corpses. I love until they go underground. And then they have that whole part when you meet the like what's his name? Dr. Satan? Dr. Satan. Yeah. So when you meet Dr. Satan and it's like this it, it gets in this like weird, like the kind of mashup between like sci-fi and
0: it's art? a bit much.
1: It's yeah, yeah it's, it's it okay. So Devil's Rejects really I I I feel like that could have happened. That's what made me nervous about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That would, that's what made me nervous about The Exorcist. Like That's what made me like uncomfortable about those movies, and that's what I like.
0: I think it's the superior film, Devil's Rejects.
1: Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. And, and the soundtrack has a song on it that makes me, every time I hear it, I go, that is the best place song in the best time. Oh, and I'm going to fall out. Damn it. Freebird. No, it's not the Freebird part is amazing. It's the it's the part where they start partying when they know they're about to get caught and they, they meet up with that the dude with the shaved head. And, you know, like the coke runs out and he's like <sighs> any he port in the storm. So he lights up that joint. Yeah. The song that starts at that point, I, I can't remember the name. It's a j it's a single artist by himself just playing acoustic guitar.
0: All right. So what's going on with you? How oh no, there's big news there's more big news in Tommy's life. He sent me a picture of a pizza he bought today. Tommy, tell the people where you bought Costco. The pizza. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I bought two of them actually. I didn't know that Costco had pizza. Uh their pizza is actually decent. It's not good. Uh their hot dogs are top notch. I would eat Costco pizza. I'm not a
0: pizza snot. Uh, Now, of course, I prefer the best pizza, but I eat fresh, direct, frozen pizza. I eat Elio's still. You know, I would eat a Costco pizza. But Tommy, you bought more Costco pants. Why? Why did you need more?
1: I wore the pair that uh, I bought last week, and I liked them so much, I said, I'm going to get them in another color. So I have a brown pair, and now I have like a olive drab, kind of like greenish, like army green. Think that
0: oh okay so you're you're planning out your fall winter wardrobe uh
1: it's more of like uh these are pants I can destroy, so like the, <laughs> the, the, the I know I'm gonna put holes in the butt and the knees like just skating, so it's like I might as well just have something that I can kind of like rip up so
0: so it's utility, it's not a planning out fashion,
1: oh yeah, no, of course not they're like they're you know they're twelve dollar pants.
0: Well, Tommy, I'm becoming one of those people. I want to have a new look each season. Like, you know, we're rolling into uh, winter now, and I'm like, I can't wear all the same stuff I wore last winter. That's boring. Like, I'm going to get a haircut. I bookmarked uh, a couple new sweaters I'm going to buy. I'm going to try to keep it fresh every season, Tommy. What do you think of that?
1: I think that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because I have sweaters that I've had since high school, and they're awesome, and I'm going to keep them. (laughs) Do you really? Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. I have a, uh, like a Ralph Lauren, like a V neck pull, like a, like a regular polo, like not zip up sweater, but like a pullover sweater. I I've probably had it. Yeah. No, since I was like 18.
0: How do you keep clothing and shoes together so long? It's weird.
1: All right. Clothing is a hard one because essentially i don't wash them a lot does that make sense like yeah I, yeah i like I do if that I, too yeah if i don't if i don't sweat in them like i'm not washing them yeah uh shoes are a whole different story so shoes come down to essentially what i do is after i wear them depending on when i wear them uh i just wipe them down with like clorox wipes and then like a tissue like and just kind of like make sure there's no stains on it and then the thing mm-hmm. i found out Like probably in the last like five or six years the i used to stay away from uh white soled shoes like anything that had a white sole on the bottom uh those are the easiest to clean they look the newest like the new balances that i have right now that i just got probably a year ago look like they're out of the box because of um mr clean magic eraser
0: yeah That's it. I know that. Yeah,
1: that's all I You know, I
0: I, I know how to take care of clothing now. I turn it inside out and wash it on the gentle cycle, cold. I air dry all my best stuff. You know, I I know how to take care of the clothing now, so that's good. I just get bored of wearing the the same things, you know? So each season, I want to introduce a couple new pieces, Tommy. I have to stay fresh and relevant.
1: Well, I mean, you pay a lot for your clothes, so... It makes sense. There's
0: that too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So like there's that turnover of like, all right, I know this is expensive, so I'm going to, you know, wear this infrequently. Like I'm not going to wear it all the time. I don't wear it out. And then on top of that uh, with me is I think like clothes are like utility. Like, yeah, it becomes like I wipe, you know, like I, I write on a whiteboard all day. So like there's a lot of times where like I erase something on the board and it gets on my sleeve or like my clothes, become disposable so i only wear them when i know like i'm not going to do something like seriously in terms of like damage wise
0: i see well how are you doing personally tommy is everything all right oh you know what you had uh the baby's birthday party today how old
1: two yeah she's two now
0: now folks tommy had a full day of hosting people and catered food and it was a full-on birthday celebration and he's still made time to record the show tonight can you believe that his dedication is
1: unrivaled the analogy i made was uh it's the third act of goodfellas (laughs) it's the it's the helicopters are following me part i gotta go home i gotta stir the sauce i gotta make sure michael's okay i gotta take her to the airport make sure she's got her hat like it's it was that kind of chaos that somehow kept me grounded (laughs) And you
0: know what? Here I am sitting alone in my apartment, and I'm like, oh, man, I can't play video games all night like I want to. Let me take two naps instead of three. Let me eat at six instead of eight. And here you are with a full-on family having a full-on party in your house. And I'm like...
1: Oh, yeah. Dude, I was up at 5.30. I was at the skate park by 6.10. Uh, I was home by 7.45, 7.50. fifty." At Costco at nine thirty, uh, getting get like it was like there was a it was a full schedule. Let's put it that way. And in the meantime, I had to raise children. So <laughs> wow, I don't know how you do it. Me neither. Like it's it's you know it's a an ever evolving process. We figure it out as we go along. It's like playing jazz.
0: It's our passion for music and our passion for the scene, Tommy, that keeps us coming back.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I'm I, I'm not exaggerating. I really did like the band. Uh, that was on tonight and that song made me skate so fast <laughs> Like, because I had that moment of like I, I have to like get some energy out and uh, I think part of it is like I look at my watch and I, I see that I haven't done enough exercise for the day and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do something in terms of exercise and the biggest thing I always think of is, well, let's go skate and I was like, let's skate fast. Usually that's OT the real but uh (laughs) tonight was uh the beautiful mistake this is who you are and the chorus is so good (laughs) that made me push really hard which is scary because there's wet leaves on the ground so
0: (laughs) yeah they're really good i wasn't as familiar with them back in the day but you know over the years i've since listened to everything and i like it a lot a whole lot and you'll hear me talk to the boys about that but uh Listen, check back in with us in segment three. You can hear more about us, and you can hear more of my scary, spooky Halloween sounds tape. Ooh. What do you think, Tommy?
1: I I, I, I don't know. I think it goes on a little long.
0: (laughs) Well, the whole thing was 18 minutes. I cut it down to, like, five just for the show. What do you think of that?
1: I think five is too long. (laughs) (laughs) I would have gone with 30 30 seconds, 45 seconds, done. (laughs) That's
0: it. Well, who knows how much we'll end up in. But listen, check back in with us for another terrifying, scary, thrilling look into our lives. Ooh. But right now, we're going to talk to the beautiful mistake. Enjoy. All right, folks, we're here now with Josh Hagquist and John Bernstein of The Beautiful Mistake. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Doing well. Thanks for having us on.
2: Yeah, doing great. Thanks for having
0: us. Absolutely. Thank you both for being here. We're excited to have you on the show. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. You know, it's Halloween week. We love that. We just played Furnace Fest and had one of the best weekends of our lives. We love that. We love the band, and we want to hear about all of that. But... I've got to know how are you guys doing today? Josh, what's going on? How you doing?
3: I'm doing well. I've been working a lot and I've been uh exploring some Native American caves in Anza-Borrego Desert over the weekend, so it was rad.
0: Whoa, where is that? That's a, is that out in uh California?
3: Yeah, it's out in the south southeastern part of San Diego County. Out in the middle of nowhere basically.
1: I actually—I was going to say—I actually visited my friend when I was fourteen years old to go visit Rancho Bernardo.
3: Yeah, I'm right next to
1: that. Okay, uh, and I remember the big thing is we went skateboarding out there, and we were like, "Oh, this is great!" And we went to a burrito place, and they had the Blink 182 gold record in their like you know place where everybody sat down and ate. That and must it. have been sombreros. I think it was. Yes. <laughs> I, it was amazing. Like, <laughs> I walked in and I was like, I was like, oh shit, this is like, a, that, I know that band. Like, well, I don't know them, but like, I, I know of that band. <laughs> There's
0: a song where they talk about going to Sombreros. It must be that place. It's
3: right down the street from Rancho Bernardo High School. They all went to school there.
1: It's, uh, I will say this. It was absolutely gorgeous and the most fun I've ever had. However, unbelievably eye opening in terms of skateboarding was like, I was 14 and I remember being like, wow, there are nine-year-olds out here that are way better than me because these kids skate all year round. Like it was really, (laughs) like it was definitely uh, a point where I was like, oh, I can't do this professionally. (laughs) Like there are young kids out here that are way better than I am.
3: (laughs) Yeah. It made me put away my skateboard pretty fast when I was a kid. Like I could ollie and that was about it. Are you, are
1: you from San Diego area?
3: Yeah, I grew up in Sa- I grew up in Escondido, just north of Rancho Bernardo, but whenever people ask, I say I'm from San Diego cuz I I don't think they want to get into the geographical minutia of me explaining where in San Diego County I live. So,
1: Keith, it's like when someone says, "Where are you from?" and you say, "Philadelphia" because explaining Levittown or Feasterville is too much. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but then if you say you're from Philadelphia and you're not, you, you get gatekept by people who actually grew up in the city, and it, oh, yeah. and now I live in New York, and I've been here for eight years, ten years, so it's it's everything's just very confusing. John, how are you doing today? What's going on?
2: Hey, I'm great. Thanks for asking. I'm uh, stoked to be here. I've listened to the podcast a bunch. Um, I think it was Josh from Hopes Falls, the one that told me about you guys. <clears throat> probably I think like maybe around the time of the pandemic or like a little bit after that but I'm doing good. I live in Minnesota so surprisingly enough it's right around 70 today so I spent the uh, the weekend doing a lot of fitness and uh, hanging out with my family.
0: That sounds great. So John you're, you're familiar with the show? Yes. Oh I, I love to hear that. Tommy there are people out there talking <laughs> about the show recommending it to each other. Can you believe
1: that? Liars. <laughs> <laughs> all of them liars i, I it's so funny because like keith and i had this conversation fairly often like we record this like i'm in my basement keith's in his apartment like we consistently forget that there are lots of people listening and like we'll run into people and they'll say something from the show and we kind of look at each other like oh fuck we did talk about that <laughs> like, it, it's it's a hard kind of sell to us like it's still like New to us as a a format, like so. Yeah,
0: you know the the. Believe it or not, I'm not a big talker. So this great thing happens now. I'll hang out with friends and I'll go to talk about something, and they'll be like, "Yeah, I know," and I'm like, "Great, done." (laughs) (laughs) Gentlemen. We're here today to talk about both of you. Now, I'd like to see where everybody falls musically and kind of your trajectory, discovering punk rock or hardcore or emo or whatever your thing is. So let's dig into that. Josh, let's start with you.
3: So I grew up in San Diego, and when I learned how to play guitar in eighth grade, um, I was getting into stuff like The Cure and The Smiths. And a buddy of mine had a Fugazi tape, and he gave that to me. And that kind of opened up the door to all the Discord stuff. And then just growing up here, I, I was at some of Blink's first shows before they were Blink 182 and, you know, watching snowboarding videos with Pennywise and Bad Religion. So I kind of had a mix of all of that. Um, and then when Seattle kind of broke, you know, I was early in high school and the Smashing Pumpkins and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and all those bands. Um, Uh, were pretty influential for me. But uh, then I got into hardcore out of punk and Snapcase and Quicksand and bands like that just blew my mind. And I've kind of been into that ever since. So most of my music that I listen to is from 91 to like 94. (laughs)
1: Actually, you know, it's funny. I always think when I hear San Diego, there was a band. uh, So I grew up with Anthony from uh, Circus Survive. And one of the things that I always think of is when I think of San Diego, I always think of. Uh, Do you ever hear of the band called the Swing Kids? Swing Kids, yep. Yeah. So we got a, a like a seven inch of theirs. I think we were like fifteen or sixteen years old, and I remember being like, "We need to be this band. This is it. Like we like everything about their aesthetic, like the way they dress, the way they looked, the way they sounded, everything about them. We were like, we are obsessed with this band." And I, the, I always think of like when I. Think of like Screamo from that time,
3: like that's what I think of is that band. I'm like, damn, we should have been in San Diego. San Diego's had some pretty, pretty awesome bands that never got huge, and that were super influential, like Swing Kids, Three Mile Pilot, No Knife, uh, Drive Like Jay. Like, there's so many bands from here that were small but had this massive impact on people. Unbroken as well um, had a huge impact on people. Um, that were part of those scenes. But then now, you know, I was at Furnace Fest, and I saw f- probably five or six Unbroken T-shirts. I'm like, are you from San Diego? They're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Awesome. Unbroken
0: is like one of those rite of passage T-shirts now, like the like the Judge shirt with yeah. the hammers. Yeah, it's yep. true. Yeah, so Josh, I'd like to ask this question because, you know, I've listened to a lot of Beautiful Mistake, and I really really love the band. I th- you know, the music sounds like something I myself would write and that always makes me like it even more and I find that when that occurs, you know, I have a similar musical trajectory to the person I'm talking to and it, it sounds like we're we're pretty in sync there, Josh. Nice. So uh John, how about you? Let's talk about some of your musical history and discovering the scene.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um I Got into uh, independent and heavy music probably a little bit later than most people. It seems like a lot of my friends kind of got into that kind of stuff when they were in high school. But when I was in high school, I think I probably had like more of a similar trajectory to like the Hopes Fall guys. So what I mean by that is I grew up listening to, I don't know, a lot of, I mean, I listened to a lot of Soundgarden. Um, I was really into Smashing Pumpkins like really into smashing pumpkins. Um, and then I think like towards probably my senior year, um, there was a local station that played all of this, you know, like alternative grunge music. And I think that, um, I got turned on to hum for the first time, uh, through that. Yeah. Through that radio station. So I heard stars and that kind of was the, um, I guess like the first like shining light that came through, like kind of exposing me to a, a whole different world, I guess, if you want to put it that way. So the next band that kind of opened up from that radio station was, um, I also heard jawbreaker. So I heard, I first bought dear you because I heard it on, I heard a song played on the radio. So, um, I ended up going to, uh, Bible college right out of high school and, uh, spent two years there, pretty much just not knowing what the hell I wanted to do. But I think the one good thing that did come out of it besides obviously meeting Josh and the guys from beautiful mistake was, um, I, I guess like opened up my world to like a whole different trajectory of music. So I had a couple of friends who, you know, basically kind of, I don't know, like took me under their wings, so to speak, and kind of turned me on to all kinds of different music. So, I think my freshman year of high school is or of, of college is when I um, first heard mineral, so um, I got into that um, the first heavy band that I got into was probably around the same time, so freshman sophomore year, and I should preface this by saying that when I first started going to uh Bible college, I think that a lot of people have kind of like a a point in time where <laughs> Like where they uh they kind of like get rid of a bunch of music because they're like oh I can't listen to this like I'm gonna I'm gonna get in trouble or I'm gonna shit for this if I start listening to this stuff so I went through a period of time of like throwing out like just a lot of classic stuff that I was super into uh, like Nine Inch Nails and all kinds of different stuff um, collectible type stuff that I had and started getting into all these like whatever equivalents and stuff whatever you'd want to call it but around sophomore year I started getting into Heavy music, and that was from groups of friends that exposed me to things like, um, I started listening to Zeo. Um, so I heard, I heard Where Blood and Fire that kind of just, I, I, that just like totally just blew my mind. And then I think I heard Admin of Miracle by Strong Arm, and that was, that was kind of like the beginning of it all. So from there, I got opened up to Shy Hulud. Um, and I think the next two bands that really just, they, I get, I love, the way I like to explain it is like my bands, like bands that like, I'm like, that's my band, right? So when I think of Soundgarden, like that's one of my bands, right? So the next two bands I got really into were Hope's Fall and Caven. in So um, through listening to Strong Arm and Zayo kind of got me onto that path. And then um, I think once I moved to California, that kind of opened up a whole different world of, of music for me. Because I started listening to all kinds of, of different bands that I obviously would have probably never listened to in my entire life. I think that I ended up finding out about failure probably when I was, I don't know, 21 or 22. And um, that was because Chandler, um, who did all the artwork for Hope's Fall, um, turned me onto that because we used to hang out quite a bit when I lived in California. So definitely an interesting path for me music-wise.
0: Wow, John, you I think you just told my life story. That's Holy shit. I was just going to say.
1: <laughs> this was that awesome. is the that is the most concise and precise way of explaining exactly how I got into it. Like that is really really smart, man. Like that was uh, I actually have a question. When you started Bible college, did they make you learn Greek? Did you read the Bible in Greek? Uh
2: so like you could sign up for like classes that would go into that and I think I had like one beginner or intro class with that so I started taking that kind of stuff but I was so checked out man like to be honest like I um I think like Ken Andrews put it best it was like he like went to like the it was like he went to like the University of Rock like he was going to college but it's like he just wanted to rock basically so like once I started getting into music it was just kind of like yep I'm gonna keep going to these classes but I really don't have like a vested interest in any
3: of this. (laughs) I
1: I had a like my really good friend. So like the first job I got out of uh, when I when I left working in the law field was uh, I worked at Princeton and uh, my really, really close friend, the guy I would like spent, you know, all day with every day uh, left to go to Princeton uh, theological seminary. And his biggest thing was like we would meet every day and go to lunch. And he was like. I hate Greek. And I was like, "Why?" And he's like, "It's all day." He's like, I, f- "I fucking can't stand it." He's like, "It's so it's it's everything. Like everything is about this." And I'm like, "Okay, well, keep in mind this place has been around since the 1600s. Like they figured this shit out like <laughs> for a reason. Like this isn't this isn't by accident. Like they're not doing it to torture you." And he's like, "I know. However, this is really really hard." I'm like, "I get it. I'm so sorry. However, how is your how is your panini? <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> that is uh, that's pretty amazing, John. Yeah, I, I had a, a very similar trajectory there, and Hum and Failure are foundational bands for me that I didn't discover till later. I think my early twenties, but that's really what you know. I mean, I've had a lot of breakthroughs, like discovering hardcore, discovering post rock, but discovering Hum and Failure specifically was like another level of things. Totally. I think, too, like the, I should point this out, as
2: good. I think it's really important, but a lot of people wonder, too, like how I kind of got steered onto the path of, I don't I don't know the words you'd want to use it, but like melodic music with like some screaming on it. I mean, obviously, Hope's Fall was like a big influence for me when I was right around 19 or 20, because that was a very unique sound that they had going with like that No Wings to Speak of EP. But um, what really kind of got me into like a, a different path was when I heard uh, Plains Mistaken for Stars. Um, oh, so shit. Like, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. So like that's that's what really got me into um, like that type of of music. And that kind of opened up a whole different world, too, because there were so many bands like on that Deep Elm label that I just kind of went down a rabbit hole with like Branston, Apple Cast,
1: and... Appleseed cast, Tommy. Keith, I was going to say, Keith, do you want to yell now? Or?
0: <laughs> <laughs> We've been going back and forth because uh, I got upset at Tommy because he hasn't really heard mineral before. But then he's like, well, you haven't heard appleseed cast. And I was like,
3: uh, I, yeah,
0: okay. These are both ones.
3: I think the not hearing mineral thing is a bigger crime. Uh, i mean
0: thank you josh thank (laughs) you
3: (laughs) josh i can appreciate that however (laughs) my
1: thing so we bought those we used to buy those things uh when we were kids at the record store was those uh the the, uh what were they called records no they were like the deep elm (laughs) compilations i forget what they were called though
0: compilations
1: yeah emo emo diaries. diaries thank you thank you that's what it was called it was the emo diaries and we used to like devour them so we would sit in the car and just like literally listen to them over and over again but that was the one that really got us was Appleseed's cast it was uh, Marigold and Patchwork and we were like how does this how does this band meld like, like this beautiful kind of like mineral style work with heaviness that goes along with that drumming and bass like that kind of like all right, the rhythm section has this heavy heavy section to it like it's there's not many bands that can put those two things t- together so well um, and that's what latched me onto them but yeah i i missed the mineral train i'm sorry
0: well you know what tommy there's still time i'm going to i'm going to slide you a couple more tracks and we're going to try to get you into it but well,
1: uh now we share a spotify account just you know <laughs> that
0: is true you are, you are on my family account <laughs> well <laughs> Uh, so Josh and John, le- how did you guys meet? How does the band start to come together?
3: So we, so I met John through a message board. It was called Decapolis.com, and it was a music and art and faith and politics kind of old school message board. And we, we had already started The Beautiful Mistake, and we were still trying to figure out uh, who was going to do what? And uh, Sean and Steve and Josh and I were trying to figure out if I, w- I was going to play bass and sing, which I didn't want to do. I didn't even want to sing. Let's just say that. Get that out of the way. But uh, if I was going to play guitar, and so I put up an ad on there on the message board saying we're looking for a bass player. We sound like a cross between Mineral and Shai Hulud, or that's what we wanted to sound like—a cross between. And we met through that and started chatting. And then he flew out to California and we played with him. Was it once or twice, John? Was it once that we just jammed? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Once. And then it was like, do you want to move out to California and not make any money and live with me and do the band? He's like, sure.
0: Wow. So, John, <laughs> how old were you when you took this flight to go try out?
2: Yeah. I was uh t- 19 or 20 so i was in i was in the finishing up like the sophomore year of college and um to pay for the plane ticket i mean i think this is pretty fucking rock and roll but to pay for the plane ticket um i sold my computer to like a guy who lived on my resident hall i was just like yeah man like i need to buy this plane ticket so i'll sell you my computer um and i'll give it to you for you know the cost of this of this plane ticket so basically sold the computer to a a buddy of mine who ended up starting another band that was pretty successful in Minnesota later on but um it's always been an ongoing joke the fact that i just went kind of ball in and just like sold the computer to pay for this plane ticket
0: i think that's amazing especially as a what early 20s kid going to college how how did you have the courage to do that i mean oh my God, I couldn't even imagine doing something like that when I was 20.
2: Yeah, I think the big thing was, is I was really enjoying playing music locally. Um, And I think that the bands that I played in, we tried to play out of town shows or like schedule shows with like other bands that were coming through on tour. And I think eventually it was just one of those things where I was like, you know, it'd be really kind of cool to like just go on tour. And I, I knew nothing, right? I just... Just thought it would be cool to travel around and play music. And I think that was that was what uh played a lot into making that decision. And I think too, like I talked with Josh quite a bit before deciding to even fly out there to to try out. So, you know, we had both posted on this message board. So we did have some rapport that way, just talking about music. Yeah. I think we talked on like instant Me- AOL Instant Messenger <laughs> So yes. um yeah, it was just kind of wild. It's common nowadays to do that stuff, but like nowadays, or uh, back then, it was definitely not common to be like doing that kind of stuff on the internet.
3: This is before we were signed. This is before we had a, this is before any, there was any scene or any label signing any bands that sounded remotely close to us.
0: That's another thing that amazes me about it because our friends are in Circa Survive, right? Their bass player flew from California to, to live in Pennsylvania. Yeah, to record their first LP. And I like we knew that band was going to do great, but even I think that's crazy. Yeah, we know
2: Nick because uh, he was in Taken. We're we're good yes. friends with those guys, right? So yes. yeah, um, yeah, and it's kind of ironic because after some of us left, Beautiful Mistake, I started another band back home. We played a we played a couple shows like with Circa when they would come through because you know Nick would get the band I was in on shows with them locally in Minnesota. So Nick's a great dude and he's killer bass player.
0: Oh yeah, Uh, Taken are awesome and Circa of course are awesome and he's just he's really solid. So all right, so John, you're you move out to California. You're joining this band. This band that sounds like it hasn't even really gotten started yet. We're we're still writing. We're still. It's still in the early stages. Yes,
2: I think that well, they had the um they had the initial like four song EP that was posted on mp3 dot com, right, Josh?
3: Yeah. Did we have that out when you joined, or did you join right when we were putting that out? I I don't remember.
2: Yeah, you had you had like two of the songs on mp3 dot com, but it hadn't been pressed
0: yet mp3.com we're dating ourselves right now
3: that site was awesome that site was really cool i mean this was the infancy of digital music but that that's how we booked our first tours because we would meet bands through mp3.com so we met tokyo rose from new jersey uh through mp3.com we met edison clio from michigan and they booked us i mean we played almost every show in michigan with them for the entire band's existence.
0: What was the deal with that site? Was there like a message board component or something? How did you meet people? Because I only remember going on there to listen to music a couple times.
3: So there would be, you know, you could see where the bands were from, and then they put out charts every, every week. Uh, and you could see by region or by the whole United States. And so you would just start finding bands that were on that were listed on the charts that were doing well, maybe in their area. And we were exposed to all these bands that we never would have heard if it wasn't for the website. So you'd see Edison Clio and you click them on. Oh, Hey, they're really good. Hey, would you, you want to play a show? Sure. And, the, and then you would start that conversation. and And we did that a whole bunch of times, even with people just booking shows like concert promoters and stuff. So before label support or anything like that, it was kind of a, it was like the, what is it? The book, Your Own Fucking Life. That was, that was that book where it talked about doing all your DIY punk tours. It was kind of like that, but the digital version of it in 99 and 2000.
0: That sounds like it would be really useful even today. If you could see how bands are charting in specific areas and then reach out. and
3: Just to
1: kind of clarify, is this like their, Keith, this is a better question for you. Is this like the their version of Centerfuse? Is that what it is?
0: Oh, the message board. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Centerfuse was our local message board. I've met bands through there. I think everyone I dated in my 20s I met through there. Message boards <laughs> were uh, where it's at.
1: I ate lunch with the kid that ran Centerfuse, and I never knew it until he graduated and they were like, Hey, do you know, Jimmy runs uh center I was like, who <laughs> like, <laughs> like,
3: fucking a really get the fuck out of here. Like I've heard of that. I don't, I'm not on it, but I know what it is. <laughs> yeah. We met so many people like through the, the message board that John and I were on the Decapolis message board. That was run by this guy, Conrad. He was in a punk band called Cody hook from Pennsylvania. And, I didn't meet him until the summer of 2019, personally. But I had, I don't know, I probably had like 6,000 posts on that stupid site and spent hours and hours. And I met girls and I met dudes on there that I you know, became friends with. And it was pretty cool.
0: All right. So we're together now. The band is together. John has moved to California. What happens next? How do things start picking up? Where does uh, life take us?
3: Well, we recorded a four song EP and put it out ourselves. And we had a buddy who owned or who worked at a record store. And so they had these listening booths. Again, this is back in the day. And he put our EP in the listening booth in this record store. Well, it turns out this record store was weighted when it came to sound scan numbers. One sale counts as like five sales because it's weighting all the record stores around there that don't, count them anyways we started making the paper the local paper because we were the top seller because our little uh self put out ep was doing well and it stayed in there for john was it like six months or a year that it was in there yeah yep it was non-stop and we we sold through all of our copies of it and it got attention from some different labels. So Chad from militia group saw that and Lewis from hopeless records and a few others, they were seeing these and go, how is this band selling all these records in this one place? So it was kind of cool. Like that's, that's how we kind of got our work name out and we were playing shows in Southern California and, and we were buddies with the noise ratchet guys. And so there definitely was a scene that we were a part of, which was really cool uh, with, you know, the Chain Reaction, Showcase Theater, and Glass House. Um, so we were we were putting in the work, but we were getting visibility based on this tiny little record store in Riverside that happened to report all of our sales to uh, Soundscan.
0: That's amazing. Like, so many bands, you know, they put out releases, and they're touring, and there's like all this trudgery, which you guys did too, but I don't know. I've never heard this story before. Where like this, the record is set up in the shop, and it's like, "Hey, you're number one. Let's run the thing for a year." <laughs>
3: yeah, and, and it was our buddy that was just a huge supporter of us, and and just really was passionate about wanting us to succeed. And he knew that we wanted to tour and we wanted to, you know, get signed and put out records. So that was his way of kind of helping us out, and that's what got us the attention of labels. Was that and probably coupled with mp3.com and just playing shows you know just putting in the work so you ended up signing with militia group yes we did so
0: how soon how soon before you record your first lp and then you're getting out on the road and touring and stuff
2: so josh talked a little bit earlier about a tour that we um kind of self-booked through mp3.com and that was kind of like a, I don't know like uh um we did like a uh, one tour that was like maybe like a a month or two or something like that and it was it was not necessarily the best but on the same sense we were just a bunch of like dumbass kids and we were young so it's just we didn't care it was just awesome to be on tour right so but during that tour We ended up booking the dates out to Lawrence, Kansas, Eudora, Kansas, whatever, whichever one it was to record with um, Ed Rose. So we recorded Light a Match for I Deserved to Burn with Ed Rose. And I think we had, was it a week, Josh, in the studio?
3: Yeah, we had a week. We had, I think, six days. Only six days in the
0: studio for that LP. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to say you can't tell by listening to it because I really love the record and it just sounds spot on. You guys
3: must be pros. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh shit. Where do we it, begin with John? Where do we begin with the stories on that? You get done in 6 days. <laughs> Let's hear
2: some of that. If Ed Rose was listening to this right now, he'd be like these guys are not fucking pros. Let me tell you about this. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, I would say for me, that experience was amazing because that guy kicked my ass. Like he basically, let's put it this way, g- gives you like a a massive plate of humble pie and basically tells you like you need to go back to the drawing board because you're not as good as you think you are. You know, <laughs> so I I am one hundred percent thankful that that experience happened. And we got to record with him at that period of time because it changed the trajectory. I think not just for me, but I think also for the other guys in the band um, and just for what would happen in the future for the band. So I know Josh probably has like a story or two about when they tracked the vocals. Cause this was a couple, uh, there's like two different guys in the band who do like the screaming type vocals. But back then I didn't do that in this band. So um, our other Our other guitarist, vocalist Sean, he did those and then um and then Josh obviously is the lead singer. So Josh, you wanna tell one of those stories?
3: Oh yeah. No, I don't want (laughs) to (laughs) tell Yeah, you do. So we the way that Ed did it, which in hindsight is is not my favorite way of doing things, is recording everything and then all the vocals at the end. So you get all the guitar and all the bass and all the drums done, and then the last Two days were going to be dedicated to vocals. Well, the probability that something could go wrong, like if you blow your voice out or something, is pretty high with that. But we just didn't have the time uh, if that would happen. So I st- we tracked all the music. It was sounding really good. We were really happy with it. And then it was okay. Let's go in and do vocals. And I was sucking. Like I was not able to deliver. And so I think we did track like take after take after take. And it was just off. Like it just didn't sound good. There was no power behind the, the vocal. There was no like feeling behind it. It just was kind of flat. Um, it was really pitchy. And I think after it probably was like three or four hours of, of do it again. He would just hit the button and be like, do it again. Do it again. <laughs> wow. Do it again. <laughs> One more time. One more, and then he changed it to one more time, like that would be like motivating to me, like I would hear that and go, "Yeah, only one more time. this is awesome. I can do that." And that didn't work. And so finally, it was getting later in the day, and i I don't remember exactly what he said, but he called me into the the booth, and I had already kicked out all the guys from the studio because I was already really frustrated and self-conscious and uh I was nervous and freaking out. And I didn't want them to hear how bad I was sounding. So I go into the control room and Ed's just like, if you can't get these done tomorrow, we're done. Like you have tomorrow to do the vocals. So whatever you need to do tonight to figure it out and whatever you need to do to mentally prepare yourself, do that and come back tomorrow and you have to get these done or we don't finish the record. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make me feel very good because now." I, I think uh, Militia had budgeted 10 grand to go to Ed Rose. That's the number that I'm recalling. But I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just wasted all their money. We're not going to have a record. The band's going to kick me out because I can't sing. And so I have to go back to where we were staying and sit with that all night. And I don't think I slept very well. And then I came in the next day and we. Nailed all the vocals, so it was like an act of God. Like
1: in terms of a motivating factor, does that kind of like pressure put you in a place where you go, all right, I need to really think about this and kind of practice, or like where, like mentally, where does that put you?
3: Uh, at the time, I was just scared shitless. I think like I was just really scared. I was I was bummed about the the uh, the possibility of letting everybody down. But I think in a way, at that time, it was motivating to say, okay, I I just need to go in and do it. I need to harness whatever I can to get this done. And we, I doubled all the vocals. So I would get a track that he liked and then have to go and do it again. So all of my vocals on that record, all 10 tracks, all of the vocals are doubled. That's unreal. And so, yeah, and it was, it was funny because we finished probably at like five or so and we had tickets to go to the Coalesce Reunion show that, that night in Lawrence. So we finished and it was like, okay, well, I'll mix it and I'll mix it later. And he had started mixing while, he was, while I was trying to figure out how to sing. And, um, but yeah, we, we finished at probably 5 o'clock and we went and got dinner in Lawrence and we were done. And I was like, what? I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't really know how that happened, but it did.
2: Clutch. Mariano Rivera.
0: <laughs> Closing yeah, the night. Yeah, Important question. Did Did you make the coalesce reunion show?
3: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, we did. I'm guessing
0: you didn't uh, sing along at the show.
3: No, I think I drank pretty heavily at that
1: show. <laughs> I, I was going to ask Keith about this. Keith, if someone had put that type of pressure on you at 19, 20, 21 years old, how would you have handled it? I would have
0: cried and quit music. I don't know how you guys deal with this kind of pressure at that age. I just uh, like if I had been in that position at age 20, 21, you know, I would have just folded. I don't know if I don't know that I would have been able to do it. I'm amazed that you guys pulled it off and were able to because you know I was in band I don't think I was in my first band until I was twenty four and if anyone like criticized anything I did I, I had a meltdown I still mm. do sometimes so it's like I don't know if you're if, like if I had a label behind me and they're paying ten grand for me to record and it's like coming down to the wire and there's a guy like yeah, this isn't good you got to go back and do it again i wow it's a it's a lot of pressure
3: yeah and I, I will give I will give my bandmates credit like for band people in general at that age, like you're not emotionally developed. You have a lot of bad, you know, you're just lame a lot of the time. Uh, (laughs) They were really, really supportive of me during that recording session. And they were pretty cool and didn't really let on that they were either going to be super pissed at me or they were mad at me. I mean, they did a good job of, of making sure that they didn't pile on to to the pressure that i was already feeling so you know I'm, I'm still to this day very thankful that they were all very gracious to me because <laughs> i mean i i kind of held the whole thing in my hand and it, it's either gonna make or break so they were cool they were they were really nice and i think they bought me some drinks at the coalesce show so that was cool
0: that sounds like a nice time I mean, it looks like you guys have done a lot of touring. Looking at your resume, we've toured with everybody. Hope's Fall, Elliot, Fallout Boy, Every Time I Die, Under Oath. Were you out on the road just all the time? Were you doing this thing full time?
2: Yeah, I'd say things moved super fast after we recorded Light a Match. So I think we had two weeks left of that tour. We got home. We did a hometown show with a bunch of local heavy bands uh falling cycle sinai beach and we just um we ended up having to uh headline that show and i remember us talking the band we just said shit man like everybody's gonna leave we have to headline the show like nobody's gonna stay they never stay why can't we just play earlier (laughs) so we get up to play and like I said, two weeks after recording with Ed Rose or whatever, three weeks, I can't remember the exact time frame, but you get the idea. We get up to play and nobody left. The place was still packed. And we're just like, what the hell is going on? Like, everybody's going to leave. Just wait. Start playing. Everybody's going to leave. So we start playing and Josh can back me up on this. But from what I remember, like kids were singing along to the to the songs on Light a Match and the record wasn't even out yet. And then that's when we... Then we figure out that like an uh like an unmixed version or something got out yeah, somebody online? Had leaked it online yeah. like a- yeah. in all honesty, it was probably the best thing that happened for our band because it was the that time frame was like this crazy time frame for like all of the bands in that genre, and so it came out at like the the best the best time you know like it was before. was before the thursday full collapse record right so it was like and then shortly after that like that came out and you know our cd eventually actually released a little bit later you know but from there um things just really started to move um we started getting offered um all kinds of uh, different tours i'm trying to think josh do you remember what the first like tour was that we got offered the first
3: official tour that we did was with what, like I think it was Glass Eater because yeah. we had done the Tokyo Rose on the yep. East Coast and we had done uh, the, our own tours, yep. Yep. but then the first one was Glass Eater and North Star. Yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah, so we so to give you some context, like after that show, we booked another full U.S. tour, and this is kind of a crazy story. But so we booked this full U.S. tour. I'm living at this apartment with one of the other owner guys from Militia Group. And um I started getting a phone call from some guy from like DreamWorks Records. And I thought it was like a prank phone call, so I just kept hanging up on him. Instead, it was it was actually a guy from DreamWorks who got the number from a you know, militia group guy, so uh, must have like known that I lived with the other owner of Militia Group. He was trying to specifically get a hold of me because I booked that full U.S. tour for us and he said, hey, I got this band, Um, their record's coming out on Doghouse, but they are on DreamWorks and they're going to be huge And they're called All American Rejects. And I remember on the phone, I said, who the hell is that? And he said, (laughs) because we didn't know, right? We didn't know. And um, he's like, well, I'm going to send you an album or whatever. And I said, well, it's going to take forever. Can you just like send me to somewhere online? I can listen to the music. And he said, look, I just want to know, can we get them on this tour? Like they'll open. You're not going to have to call any of these venues back. I'll do all the work for you. I'll call all the venues and get them on the show you just have to give me the information for every one of these shows. And I said, well, let me ask the guys. And if they're okay with it, then fine. So I asked the dudes, they were just like, well, whatever, like, okay, like maybe that'll help us. And obviously it did. (laughs) So we, um, so yeah, we ended up getting uh, all American rejects on this tour with us and uh, it's, it's pretty wild. I mean, we still have like black and white pictures of us going doing go-karting with them. Um, By the end of that tour, I think it was East Coast, that's when they had basically blown up, and it was just kind of like a natural progression of them to start like headlining the shows. And and then at that point, it was just a blur. Um, We started getting tours offered all over the place, the first one being that Glass Eater tour that Josh mentioned.
0: Were All-American Rejects playing that Swing Swing song on that tour?
2: yep. Yep.
0: When you heard that, we were like, Oh man, these guys are gonna be big.
2: Um, every time that any song that they played, we said that. Like I remember we Josh, was <laughs> yeah. it was it Virginia or where was it they played the first show? I remember they showed up and they opened and we were just like, Holy it was Birmingham. Sh-. Yeah, we were like, Holy shit, these guys, these guys are like a yeah. rock band, you know, like they they're like pro, you
3: know. <laughs> They had like in ears and they had backtracking and stuff and like a whole merch display and we're like, we're amateurs. What have we been? What have we been doing? <laughs> they were the
2: nicest dudes too, the whole time. Yeah,
0: that's good. That's good because if someone has all this professional gear and they're a big deal and they're assholes, you know, it just makes you hate them right. even more than you would normally.
1: Keith, this is the part where you make fun of me. <laughs> oh yes. I don't know who the All American Rejects are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, they were more I think they were more mainstream, right guys? I think yeah. of them as like just a mainstream rock band.
3: Yeah, they did the Doghouse release as like, hey, we want some cred. We we want to have that indie release before we jump to the major even though we're already on a major and just licensing it to to Doghouse. The joke for us was that if you open for us, you were going to get huge. And we weren't (laughs) going to get huge.
2: It was crazy. I mean, after that, it was just a blur. We went on that Glass Eater tour. Then I think we got offered or we did a little short stint with like Planes Mistaken for Stars, which obviously that just like fucking blew my mind that the fact that we got offered that just knowing that I listened to them when I was, you know, like first getting into this type of music. Yeah, they were crazy.
3: I got to tell you a story really quick about that tour. So we played, it was a whole, it was a full West coast tour with them. And so we played in Seattle and planes is up there and they're just destroying it. Like they're they there's, it's so heavy and dark and this, and I was sitting at our merch table and this girl walks up and she, she spends like 200 bucks on plane stuff. And we're like, she must be a really big fan, you know? And it was like, what was their EP like? Fuck or fight or fuck with fire? Yeah, all that stuff. And so she comes over to our table and she's like, "What band is playing right now? This is awful." I'm like, I'm looking at her. I'm like, what? What? Like that's planes mistaken for stars. You just bought all their merch. She's like, "Oh my gosh, I, I didn't know they sounded like this. She had only heard like the first track off an emo diary." <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Did she return the merch? She didn't. That's good.
3: They had a no return policy.
0: (laughs) Good for them. Like, yeah, yeah.
2: they were crazy. You guys like I'm serious. They that's like a big rock and roll story because I remember they used to like they used to like kind of beat the shit out of each other on stage and like spit on each other. And I remember like, was it Reno that we played, Josh? Was that the first show? But I I remember just watching them. I'm like, holy shit. It was just like mind blown
0: (laughs) my i realize my perception of this band is completely off i thought they were like a slow quiet emo band but they they sound great i well look i like slow quiet emo bands but i don't know i guess i listened to enough of them I, i i think i need to really do a deep dive on this band now all right so we're touring everything's a blur things are picking up are you guys thinking this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? This is what I want to do. I just want to play music. What kind of great things happen? Set the stage for us a
3: little bit. Yeah. I think that that was kind of when we went at it a hundred percent and we're like, yeah, this is the direction we want to go. And we're on a label and we are, the gears are moving and everything's moving in a direction that was positive, you know, from a, from a band standpoint. So We were all—I mean, we were all in before that—but once we started touring full time, it was—it was just like the machine gets rolling and it doesn't stop. So we were doing tour, and then we'd be home for a week or two, and then do another tour, and then be home, and then another tour, and then we fly to England and do a tour, and then come back and do another eight-week tour. I mean, it was—it was nonstop for, you know, at least what about two years solid, John.
2: Yeah, probably about two years solid. I think the first big time, the thing that I guess like it finally like clicked in my head, like maybe this is a bigger thing than I I can really even comprehend is we were on tour with Further Seems Forever, which for all of us was like a, that was a big thing because we all grew up listening to Strong Arm and Further. And um, so we were main support off of that, how to start a fire record with when Jason was the singer. We were in Nashville, and I remember our management told us that our first music video would, um, would was going to start getting played on Fuse. So back then, they would give us like a time frame of like when it would be on. So I remember telling people from back home, like in Minnesota. So all of my family is like getting together and having like a viewing party to watch like this, you know music video come on and it used to get played all the time on that and then like mtv too and we just had no idea because we're on tour there's no internet no tv obviously so we don't know what's going on we just know that these shows are really good and we just figure like all these sick bands like are for some reason letting our shitty band play with them or ask them to come out and play shows with them right and it was just one thing after another. I think after that, we we did that other tour, uh, or we did that tour with Hope's Fall and Every Time I Die, which was also amazing. Hope's Fall being a band that we just all were just super into before we even became friends with them. And, and then becoming friends with them was amazing as well, because they're great dudes too. Still friends with them to this day. And then I think after that, we also did like a, a short run with Fall Out Boy because we had the same manager. So that was before they were, before they were big, just like Josh was saying. They
3: opened for us. They it, opened for us. Don't forget yeah. it.
0: And so we, All American Rejects and Fallout Boy have opened for, wow, everybody who opens for you does get huge. Look at that. My Chemical Romance,
3: they opened for us at a show.
0: I have an idea, guys. I have an idea. Open for yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, I, yeah.
2: I think like uh, the next big one was we um, we were main support for Brand New when they did that uh, when they had that Deja Enidu record or however you pronounced it. I, if I'm pronouncing it wrong, I apologize. But we were main support for that, and that was a big big tour. Um, and then I think after that we got offered that uh, we did like a tour with. Uh, that band funeral for a friend that was on ferret in the states, um, but they were really big in England. That's where they were from, and uh, at that time they were they were huge over there. It was another time where we didn't know who they were. Um, they specifically asked, you know, our management, like, "Hey, we want this band to come over and tour with us." The the singer and a couple of the other guys in the band were fans of the band, um, so we we went out to England, we showed up, had no idea how we were going to get around. Um, There was a guy with a sign. So it was like, like one of those things you'd see in a movie. So it's the beautiful mistake. And we just talked to this guy, it's the tour manager of funeral for a friend. And we're just all confused and discombobulated. And basically they tell us, Hey, you're going to be touring with them in their tour bus. So they had like a, you know, this massive tour bus and they took us out for a week or a week and a half or whatever it was throughout, throughout England. And we played some of the biggest shows we've, we've ever played on that tour. And, um, yeah, and things just kept going from there. Um, tour with census fail after, after that tour, we got to know those guys cause of the, they were on that brand new tour. And, um, and then, uh, a couple more tours after that, before, you know, the band had
0: stopped. So let's, it sounds like things were really rolling and they kept moving. So, how does it all come to an end?
2: I'll say this part and let Josh talk next. But the, I think what ended up happening was we were, we were on a tour with Radio Takeover Tour um, that was us, Emery, Anatomy of a Ghost, slash Portugal the Man. They were, they were playing Portugal the Man songs starting on that tour. And then the AKAs, which was Mike Ski from Brothers Keeper's band, like after Brothers Keeper. So we did that tour. Um, That was like a a headline, quote unquote, tour for us. Emery was just blowing up at that time. So they were just, I mean, they were just honestly the draw on that tour. (laughs) And um, I don't know. I I think like partial uh, halfway through that tour, we were uh, putting together the rest of the um, touring cycle for the rest of the year. So we were going to be doing like a two week thing for with Spitafield, like a, a co-headliner thing coming up after that. And there's a crazy story about this next one that we can maybe talk about if we have time, but we, we were also asked to be main support for Andrew WK. So we were going to be doing that after the Spitafield tour and then uh warp tour. tour through the summer. Basically what ended up happening was um, there was a, a death in the family Um, while we were on that tour and we had to we had to cut it short early and by the time when we got home two of the members in the band had decided to leave and then shortly after that is when i decided to step away because i had a couple of um, family issues back home as well like illnesses and stuff that i had to take care of
0: so josh let's hear this from your perspective i mean we've got all these great things lined up and everyone has to leave for various reasons. Where where were you at with the whole thing?
3: So you know, yeah, the momentum was was there, and and things were going well. And I, I think I think the the almost two years of being in a van with the dudes, and you know, it, it's a tough life to live, and it's hard to work things out when you're that close to people twenty four hours a day, and and. And I think that we all had kind of reached a point where we were pretty frustrated with each other. Uh, I don't think we were communicating very well. So when everyone stepped away after that headlining tour, I didn't want to stop. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why, but basically I, I just didn't want to give up on my dream. And that was to do the band. So I got some fill-in people, and we went back out on tour. And it, it, was, really, it was really humbling because I, I don't want to say humiliating, but I could probably say that too. We, we were going to places where we had played before and sold out, and we were maybe getting 50 people out. And that, that doesn't necessarily pay the bills to tour. And so promoters who had booked us before, you know, booked us by name only when I brought the new guys out and we were playing all the old songs, but the momentum had completely gone. We didn't have a manager. We didn't have a label. Basically nobody was really interested in what we were doing. And, and with that scene getting so big by 2000 late 2004 you know you had fallout boy you had thursday taking back sunday my chemical romance i mean all these bands were huge and we missed the boat with canceling tours and and having the the member changes and things like that so any momentum we had vanished and i kept grinding it out with the hope that well one more tour you know uh oh, the next tour is going to be better and we did some cool tours. I mean, we toured with Branson. Uh we toured with Dead Poetic and as Cities Burn. Uh we had some good shows. We recorded an EP. Uh we were talking to Equal Vision. Uh Dan from Equal Vision had come out and seen us play. He wanted to sign us. And I did that with the the new members until late 2005. And um we got home from a tour and Uh, I had a three-record deal from EVR, ready to go. like It was going to breathe new life into the band, so I thought. And I got home, and I was married at the time, and my wife was not into me doing any more tours ever, pretty much. So I got a normal job, but I got the job thinking, oh, like... I'm going to let this ride for a couple weeks and then I'll just decide to go back out on tour again and sign the EVR deal and everything. And, but I wasn't in a good place and I didn't have the, the hustle that the drive to make it happen anymore. So that's kind of what happened. And it's funny too, because I saw like, I called Dan from EVR and I said, I can't do it. Like I can't sign this. I'm really bummed because I've been a fan of EVR since I was young. And it's one of those labels that just is so seminal, but I couldn't do it. And it's funny because I saw him at Furnace Fest and I went up to him, gave him a hug. We told it, we reconnected and he, he's like, I just want to thank you for not signing that contract. Cause it would have been a train It would have been a train wreck. And I, and I, I said, no, I, I'm glad I was honest with you, you know? Because it would have been a huge loss of money for EVR, and it would have been a train wreck on our end. So it's, it's funny how that works out, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, everything circles back around. And I want to get to some of the Furnace Fest stuff too, but I have to ask, Josh, how... I mean, at that age when everything stopped, how did you deal with it? Because I'm just thinking about myself at that age. All I wanted was to be in bands and to play, to tour... That was my dream. That's that's all I wanted. That's that's all I knew. And you know, everybody has to leave the band for various reasons. The momentum died. You're trying to hold it all together, and you can't. You have to walk away from this deal with a iconic record label. How did you cope? How did you feel at the time?
3: I mean, honestly, it was just a. I was just a ball of resentment. You know, I was I was pissed at John and Sean and Josh. I was pissed at my wife at the time. I was pissed at myself. Like there was so much anger. And, and I, it was funny. Cause I got a job at Starbucks. Like, Hey, I'm a guy with no skills. It's been on tour for like five years. <laughs> what do I do? Uh, I got a job at Starbucks and this is right after we stopped touring and people would come in and be like, aren't you from beautiful mistake? You're be like, yep. Making you a latte. And like, a part of me would die. Like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. Like I was broken just because it was, I was like this, my life sucks. Like I, everyone, I just hate everyone. And I had, I just had a lot of anger and a lot of um, just animosity towards everything. Like what have could have should have, like I, I would think that all the time. So it took me a long time to get over the, Hey, it didn't work out and that's Okay. And you got to move on with life.
1: Josh, can I be real with you for a second? That's actually why I stopped doing music. Because of that exact moment of like thinking that I would try it and fail miserably. And that made me walk away from it being like, because I saw so many of my friends go into music and not be successful and not do something. And, And that moment of sitting there like making someone's coffee would I, honestly, weaker people would be crushed by that. Like, and I, I'm, I'm really, I, I don't know you, but like, I'm insanely proud of you. Like that is a, a moment to walk away from and say, like, I've done something and I tried my best. Like, I just don't have the, I don't have the heart for that and, uh, take some solace in the fact that there's a lot of people out there like myself that don't have that. And, and you did it. You, you went out and you really tried and, uh, I, I'm, I'm weaker than that for sure.
0: I was just going to say, I think it's our own personal perception that, because it's like Tommy saying, like, you did it, you know, you did it, you wrote these incredible records, you went out on these great tours, you played these shows and made everybody happy, and the fact that you're working another job now, I'm talking about back then, you're working another job now to make ends meet, that doesn't take away from all the experiences that you had,
3: but when we're young and we're confused, we can't see it that way. No, that's absolutely true, because when I was in that moment i I was angry at everyone, including myself, and I couldn't deal with it i couldn't I couldn't look at the well, I'm happy somebody got something out of our records or i'm I'm glad that I had the time on tour with john and and that he you know I got to meet this guy from Minnesota who became one of my best friends like I, I wasn't in a place that I could even fathom wrapping my brain around at the time and you know it's been the the coolest part of it is that it took me a really 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 long time with a lot of therapy and a lot of like ups and downs in my own life to reconnect with these guys in 2018 and have it be this like it was when we first started where we're just happy to play and we're happy to hang out with each other cuz we love each other and and we're bonded and we get to look back at what we did in the early two thousands with pride and go, hey, it's awesome, and that's why Furnace Fest was so cool too. It's like people coming up to us and going, "Light a match" was the only record I listened to for like ten years. I'm like, what? What? Like, I can give you five hundred thousand <laughs> records you should have been listening to, you know? But like being able to 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 comprehend that and ex and be able to absorb that kind of kind of uh, compliment or that feedback from people who were impacted by what we did like being older and being better off in a better place emotionally you're able to to look back and go yeah we did like we did rad stuff and i'm super thankful that we got to do all that cool stuff and i don't regret one minute of it like it's you're able to like step away from it i am able to step away from it now but it just took me a really long time
0: I can relate to that because I was angry. I was angry when I was young before I was in bands. I was angry when I was in a band. I was angry for decades after being in a band because I just, nothing was ever enough for me. And I always felt like I should have what other people have without doing any of the work and all like you, Josh through therapy and through finally getting away from alcohol and drugs and through clarity and, a lot of time and a lot of work, uh, I've learned to be happy with what I have, and yeah, just to be happy for others, too. It's a process. Yeah, absolutely. So, John, how did you feel? Josh is out there on the road with these imposters. Playing your songs, scrubs, <laughs> scrubs. Were you like, what the hell is he doing? Were you talking to him at all? I mean, what? Oh, Lord, where was your head at?
2: Oh, man, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, Josh and I still talked, uh, I don't know, maybe like once a week. And, um, one of you know, the EP that they put out, like one of the songs he wrote about, um, Josh wrote the lyrics about like uh, a real life experience I had, so we we obviously had like a a connection as friends and still stayed in touch. Um, So as far as like those guys, they stayed at my place uh, when they came through on tour and when the EVR stuff was going on, like they were, they were trying to get me to, to actually like join back with the band. But instead of playing bass, I would, I would play guitar, but I just, I just wasn't in a spot at the time where I wanted to go back out on the road. So, I didn't really ever have like a feeling about like, uh, you know, it's kind of a bummer that those guys are in the band and I'm not because I didn't like them. It wasn't that it was more so I think uh, like Josh was kind of saying, like you're kind of like underdeveloped in a lot of ways, like at that age. I would be lying to say if I didn't get upset at the fact that the band was still continuing. I'm sure like, I mean, I would be at a friend's house and the music videos would still show up on Fuse and people would talk about it and bring it up to me. And every time it got brought up, it was like another conversation to have about like why I left. And so every time it was 100% a selfish thing, like me being upset at the fact that I left. And that's not even those guys' fault. It's not Josh's fault. I chose to leave. So it's just me being a, a shithead, basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> just being an idiot. So
0: so how did you guys come back together? How does the conversation start?
3: So in 2018, a uh, buddy of mine, Josh, from the band Dogwood, they were doing a reunion show, a couple reunion shows in Southern California, and, and he he asked if beautiful mistake would like to play so i said yeah i'll you know i'll reach out to everybody and see where they're at and we had probably talked here and there a few times but not a ton and so not with me with with the other guys you were talking to the other guys but not with yeah you. i was yeah. talking to the other guys yeah. i hadn't talked to you yet and and so kind of put it out there and and everyone seemed kind of into it and then talked to john and I think the biggest part of it is that, you know, like I said before, like being in a van and having money issues and there's a lot of things that happen when you're in a band and whether it's money or it's, you know, personal space or, or reactions, everything's heightened. And, you know, I was an underdeveloped egotistical 20 year old who made decisions based on emotion and said things that I regret, you know, I mean, it's the normal stuff. And I think that all of us individually had kind of done the work to make ourselves better and, and in a good place emotionally. And then when we started talking, like we all got right with each other, you know? So even if it was stuff from back in the day, it was like, Hey, I, I, I said things that I, I want to apologize for and I treated you this way or I I screwed you out of this money or I bailed on you for this. Like whatever it was, like we all did the the work, which isn't easy, but we all did it and it was cool because we were all in good places in our life. So doing the band was more of a, hey, let's do it for fun. This is cool. It's, we're not doing it for a cash grab or or from like some nefarious place. We're doing it out of just want to have fun and hang out with our friends, and it went really well. Like we we had a blast doing it, and that's kind of what got us all back together, doing a new record, playing some, playing Furnace Fest. Like that's what got us back to doing the band.
0: Yeah, that's great. I love, and I I hear this story a lot. Talking to a lot of different bands. We don't know how to deal with shit when we're younger. There's no coping skills. There's no mature way of handling fights. Everyone's broke. Everyone's tired. Everyone's stuck out on the road for years together. We get sick of each other. And then we can walk away and come back with fresh adult perspectives and get along. And I love to hear it. I love to hear that we're back together. So let's talk about playing Furnace Fest. Now, I was there, and this was one of the best weekends of my life. I'm really happy that I went. You know, I don't I don't have the... A lot of bands described it as a high school reunion type of deal, and I wasn't in a band that toured extensively or anything like that, so I don't have that aspect of it so much, but it was amazing to see pretty much every band I've ever liked for the last 20 years and just connect with friends and all that stuff. So how do you get word that you're going to be performing, and how did it go?
2: Yeah, so <clears throat> Chad reached out to Josh... I'm assuming there was probably a dialogue with that and that was, wasn't it triggered too by the fact that I guess people had requested it or something. And I think he approached you and said that and we kind of all were just like, wait, what people <laughs> 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 wasn't that something yeah, like people, that?
3: People, people want us to play what, what,
2: but that's what happened though. Right. Wasn't it? Yeah. T- yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, which is crazy. It's just like looking at the list of bands. It's like, I highly doubt that, But it was a thing. So we, um, you know, we were asked to play and, and as you guys know, it was like a a very complicated turn of events to get it to happen, but it happened. And I think for me, um, I'll let Josh give his opinion, but I think for me, what I ended up telling Josh, as well as a bunch of people that I just met, like through the, the course of that weekend, whether it be like in an airport Um, waiting for uh, an Uber or or whatever. I think what I told them is um, back when I used to do this, like as a full-time thing, there was always an ego, right? So it was like a festival or a show or something that was bigger like this. The bands always seemed like it was – almost like a sporting event, like who's, who's better than one another. Right. Even though they might not say something verbally, it's like, there was always, there was always some kind of attitude present, like not everybody, but let's say one person, for example, I said, the one thing that might be different with this is that you have a bunch of different factors at at play. Furnace Fest hasn't happened in forever. A bunch of bands that are playing or doing reunion shows. And then you have like this global pandemic that happens and this thing gets postponed a million times. And then on top of that, you have all these people that haven't gone to a show. And then you have all these bands who maybe this was their first show back in like two years. So it's like, not that it's a competition, but it's like, everybody's kind of at like a a level playing field unless you're maybe one of those like larger bands that started touring again. Right. But even with that, it's like there, nobody, the point is is nobody was worrying about it. Nobody's looking at each other. It's just like, Hey, this thing's going to happen and it's going to be fucking sick. Right. So, and I think what happened was it was either going to be that, or you would have people being, jerks and I really didn't feel that that was what was going to happen. So when I showed up and when we were at the fest, the best way I can explain it is there was like a a thing to that whole weekend. It's like they um it's like they captured lightning in a bottle and it was like you could just like you could just feel it when you were there. And that's the only way I can explain it. I know it probably sounds cheesy, but it's like even talking about it right now I get like chills, right? And As Josh knows, like I almost didn't perform like they were going to have somebody fill in um, because of just comfortability and like going. But I can tell you that I am so glad I went because some of the craziest things that I've experienced in my life so far happened that weekend um, based off of words that people spoke and, you know, to me about different experiences, not necessarily with the band, but just other things that impacted them maybe about the band or whatever, that really like put a lot of things into perspective, like a, a lot of different
3: things into perspective.
0: Yeah, no, you summed it up pretty well. The, the whole thing was electric. Josh, uh, how was it for you?
3: I would say everything that John said is the same for me. Uh, you know, we knew Chad from back in the day when he did Take Hold. And I think, you know, with all the struggles of of a uh, pandemic and, and people being comfortable and the safety thing, you know, those were huge hurdles to get over. And then also wrangling, you know, 90 bands, many of which hadn't played, you know, in 15 years or 10 years or whatever. Like, what an undertaking. But I, I think that Chad and Mike and Ryan, and I think everyone that put on the show... I think they did a really good job of picking the right bands. It was a really cool mix. It wasn't all hardcore. It wasn't all, you know, like, I, I love Terror. I think they're great. But if it would have been three days of just bands like that, I think it would have not been the right mix. So I think that the bands that he picked were the right mix and the right people in those bands like good people you know hardworking. not all on the same page with what they think uh politically or spiritually or whatever but it was a good group of bands and then the fans good group of people who were probably just stoked to be out of their house and and be able to enjoy music after you know a two-year hiatus but that like gratitude was was huge and and seeing that vibe with everyone, it didn't matter if they had a mask on or not. It didn't matter if they were uh, religious or not, or straight edge or not. Like it was a really diverse group of people and di- diverse group of scenes. But it was so cool. It was so perfect. And I, I like I I can't even I can't I can't wrap my brain around how perfect it was. So it was lightning in the bottle and. For us to be included in that, I mean, I'm super thankful that we got to do the things that we did back in the day, but we've never had the cultural, we've never been as culturally relevant as Thursday or Taking Back Sunday or, you know, those bands from our era that were quite a bit bigger than us. So for us to be included was was something that we were really, really thankful for and and it was really humbling for us. And then just talking to people, you know, we, we met these guys from Columbia who flew to furnace fest to see us, their favorite band. And light a match was the only record they'd ever heard from us. And they listened to it for like 10 years straight. They knew every word. They knew every guitar part. I love that. Like, and, and for me, it it, I, I've been so, I know we all have been, but I'm so far removed from that. Like, you know, when we're, when you're touring, you're talking to people every day and, you know, it, there is ego with that. And yeah, you meet people every day that are like, Oh, you're my favorite band. And after a while, I think that it's easy to become kind of dismissive of that. Like, Oh, thanks. Thanks. Really appreciate you coming out. Like you're kind of going through the motions. So none of us have had that for years, years. And so there were a couple times, times, multiple times for me. And I don't know if it's the same for John, but I, I, I lost it. Like, I couldn't handle it. People were talking to me and they're like, oh, this, your new EP, this song, like, really got me through my my divorce. And I, I'm I'm starting to cry and be overwhelmed emotionally because, yeah, that song's about my divorce. Oh, wow. And, and I can't, ha- I, I love, like, part of, half of me is like, I love that you connect with it. And that's why we do music. That's it's an expression of our own emotions and our own things that we need to get out. Like I jokingly say to the guys in the band, like I get my wiggles out, you know, like if I write something that's heavy, like, and, and John's probably the same way with what he writes. It's like, you get your wiggles out, you get, you get, it's cathartic. And so half of me is like, Oh, I'm so thankful that you connected with me and with the band on this level. And the other part of me is like, I can't even deal with this right now. Like, this is so heavy and rad but way heavy so there were moments like that and i'm like i'm super thankful for even those moments because it was such a meaningful and like i I wanted to go back and do furnace fest the next weekend (laughs) and I've, i've wanted to go back every weekend going i'd rather just hang out at furnace fest because there was no news there was no uh divisiveness there was no people screaming at each other because of this or that like It was just nice to be around people that were cool.
1: (laughs) Josh, when you have someone that has that type of reaction, that that visceral, like, I love what you do, especially nowadays, like, do you have a hard time, like, controlling the idea? Like, my initial reaction was when someone tells me something like that, I want to hug them. With the world we have to deal with now, is that, like, something you have to temper? Like, how do you deal with that?
3: No, I just was, well, at Furnace Fest, I was just, I just reacted the way that I would always, like, give them a hug you know, shake their hand. Like, yeah, it was, there were a lot of hugs given. I'm sure John was hugging people all day. All of us were, you know, because it's that I geek out. I love music and John's the same way. Like I'm a fan of music. So like, like when I met Walter from quicksand, he was doing a show with vanishing life in San Diego. And there were like 10 people there. I mean, this is Walter from quicksand. I want to like stand out in the corner and be like, Quicksand's the greatest band ever. What are, you, what are all you stupid people doing at your home? Come to the show. And so I met him after the show and I, I was like, hey, man, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm going to geek out right now, but like, Slip got me through high school. That, that record is like formative for me. Like, I know every note, I know every word. And that record just cuts me to no end in a good way. And, and he was like, really gracious about it because I'm like a 40 year old dude losing my marbles. Talking to Walter, you know, so to have people do that t- for us, I'm like, I, I am, I, I, it's, it's very humbling and, and really cool, but it's, it's different now because it's not a stroke of the ego. It's more of like a, 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 a real connection with people.
1: That's a very cool, like full circle thing. I actually texted Keith, what was that two weeks ago? And I was like, I might get a tattoo. I, I have no tattoos. And he was like, of what? And I was like, I want to get quicksand like just the slip album <laughs> like just the, t- the two diaries yeah like, like that's what i want like, and he yeah. like really And i'm like yeah i don't know like my sister gave me that album when i was in eighth grade and like it, it just there was something that resonated with that music that made me feel like i'm a part of something bigger and like you kind of crystallized all of this is like it, it it comes back like the things that you feel for other people have now been kind of brought back to you as this same feeling is now reciprocated it, it it's a gorgeous kind of like uh cyclical thing it's really neat sure.
0: gentlemen let's talk about what's coming up next for the beautiful mistake are we planning additional shows are we planning additional releases give it to us
3: are you making me go john
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think uh well i think the plan right
2: <laughs> i think the plan right now is i think it would be great if we could plan some shows we never actually got to do a like a formal release party show for um if you're not or i'm not if you're not broken
0: wow (laughs) come on dude so whatever it's called (laughs) folks the ep is called you're not broken it came out in march of 2020 and it's out now on all streaming services yeah there you go (laughs)
2: Yeah. So we never get to do any release shows for those. We had those planned. um, And then the pandemic happened. So I think it'd be sick to get back to doing that. But I think we're still having some, some logistical stuff to like navigate that stuff. But I do think that we're probably going to be trying to record again. I know that we're also talking about maybe trying to do something special for the 20 year of light a match for I deserve to burn. So I know we've been looking into some stuff with that. So I'm hoping the answer is yes. Josh, what do you think?
3: Well I'm I'm just stoked that you couldn't come up with the name of the record.
2: <laughs> the best thing to understand is that nobody's perfect. And everybody makes mistakes. I,
3: I love you, dude. You know that. I just am laughing about it. No, I think I, I think John and I are on the same page with this and, and it's we want to do music and make music together because we're all best friends and it's fun and there's no expectations for us. And it's not like, it's not Johnny mistake and Josh mistake, like getting back at it. You know, it's John and Josh and we get to share something really cool with each other and with our bandmates and we get to make music. And I think you know, not having any expectations. Like, we're not going to go on tour. It's not going to happen. But we want to keep, you know, making records and and playing the occasional show and, and, you know, definitely want to play Furnace Fest next year because that would be awesome. But, you know, I mean, it's just taking it one day at a time and, and having fun with it. And the minute it's not fun and it becomes a chore, then there's no reason why we should be doing it.
0: That's a good outlook. Folks, let's recap. We want to check out the beautiful mistake. If you're new to the band, the discography is out there on streaming services or Tommy's favorite YouTube. Go and listen to it.
3: No, I have. Oh, all right. <laughs> Doesn't I, he have I, your I, family plan? Yeah, it, it's just a—it's
0: yeah. an old joke. I'm—I'm uh, I'm bringing back up. But yes, we want to listen to the beautiful mistake. They have an EP that came out last year in March. It's called "You're Not Broken," I am check them out. You won't regret it. And uh, Josh, John, uh, we just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us your time. Uh, We had a lot of fun.
3: Thanks for having us. This was awesome.
2: Same here. You guys kick ass.
0: There you have it, folks. The Beautiful Mistake. Wow, that was a real pleasure talking to Josh and John. I love the band. Tommy, they had a lot of great stories. And it was heartbreaking a little bit to hear, you know, they're rolling. I don't know, because usually you hear like, oh, uh, you know, things were dropping off, music industry changed, all this stuff. It seems like they had a great momentum going. A lot of the guys couldn't do it anymore. That momentum stopped. And then they couldn't pick it up again. And, uh, you know, they were separated for a while, but thankfully they came back together and they're playing some shows now. They got some new music out. They got to play Furnace Fest, which was a great time. And I don't know, I just, I really like talking to them.
1: Yeah, I actually, I, I really identify a couple times where like Josh was talking about, like, it's it's hard for me like to kind of like talk about that part of my life. But I think one of the things is like, I thought, Initially, like getting into music, like it was going to be instantaneous success, like and then you watch people go on to be really make other bands and make music that you appreciate, and then you go, "Why am I not part of this and I think there's a big part of me that recognized like well, you don't have the musical ability <laughs> to be a part of that, so ground yourself in what you do have ability in, which is clearly being able to talk and instruct, like, you know, like, and that's, you know, that's why I'm a teacher. And that's why I, I think I do well with teaching is I like what I do, and I feel passion for it. But um, it doesn't take away from the fact that like, I felt passion for music, the same way I feel for teaching, like, that's, that it's hard to hear someone say, like, you know, I tried really hard, and then it fell apart, and then have to kind of pick up the pieces after that. That's, that's, uh, that was my biggest fear it was like I was going to try something after being in a band and then it was not going to do well. And it was like, oh, fuck.
0: Yeah, I don't think I never really tried like these guys do. You know what I mean? I ne- I didn't figure out a way to do it full time and just make money and survive. I wasn't out on the road for years. I just did those two tours with This Day Forward I didn't commit to the lifestyle, and maybe, I don't know, I think part of it was fear, I think part of it was just survival, I had to pay for myself, no one was paying for me, I worked full-time office jobs, I didn't figure out, like, some nighttime hustle or anything like that to to make ends meet, and, I don't know, maybe part of what you're saying, too, where, like, I was just too afraid to commit to it, because what if it didn't work out, what do you do?
1: Yeah, I think that's another kind of, like, big part of this, is, like, I don't, I, I think I have regrets with certain parts of music but it's also like the same regret i have when i look at like oh you're too old to join the military (laughs) i look at it and go like oh you're not wait you're not allowed to join the marines after a certain age like fuck i can't even be a marine like like, you you see a door closed and you're like oh yeah fuck like uh, i am old (laughs) like like i'll be 40 in april and it's like god damn it like i guess I, i i missed out on a window of opportunity that i feel like i should have taken more advantage of
0: Another thing which we already mentioned, but I always forget, there are people who listen to this show, sometimes even people we have on as guests, because we were saying thank you to the guys for being on, and John was like, no, really, thank you, like, I love the show, I listen to it, and we were like, wait, what? Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, obviously we know people listen to the show, because I look at the statistics every day, but it's still there's a lot of work, and yes there's like difficulties sometimes that Tommy and I have to deal with, but we love it like it's still so much fun that we forget it's this thing that's out there that people listen to
1: yeah and i I think uh was it John or Josh actually said something to the point like the effect of like when it stopped being fun, and I'm like, this is still fun, like this is still fun to me, I still enjoy coming down in my basement and spending time and talking to you and talking with bands that we love. Yeah, um, but I I actually just kind of dawned on me I neglected something. How are you? <gasps> me? Yes, <Well>. you. <laughs> people that people that only tune in for the first segment and be like, Tommy's a fucking dick, bro. He didn't even <laughs> ask. he didn't even fucking ass this week.
0: <laughs> no, I knew I was going to get to it in this one. Listen, I'm great. I I had a band practice again this past weekend that was phenomenal. Like the first two. Didn't last that long because the drummer was injured and, you know, we just couldn't play that long. And when I enter into any new creative pursuit, there's a lot of resistance within me. I don't know what it is, but, like, I don't want to do it. I think it's fear. Like, when I... I almost talked myself out of doing the acting thing completely. The night before we recorded the first episode of the show, I was like, we can't do this. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. This is going to be horrible. And like So I there's always this resistance. And it was the same thing with this band. I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But we crossed a threshold with this third practice. And we played together for a good three hours, I would say. We have one song kind of done. We're working on another one. And then we did all this other experimental stuff that sounded completely different from what we were originally doing. And I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I would like to keep pursuing this. I don't know what it will be or if it will be anything, but I, I had a lot of fun, Tommy. I realized how, just how much I miss playing music.
1: I actually, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I like, I play music in the basement with my like my daughters when they're down here, and it's like I miss just playing, like just in general, like picking up a guitar and like playing a song. Yeah, uh, I, I actually watched um, Vadim sent me a really nice uh thing about how to play one of the songs from Pete Appleby yeah Uh and I was like oh like I'll play that song and I just watched it for like two minutes I was like oh I know this I remember it now and started playing it and I was like wow this feels so good <laughs> like it yeah. feels it feels really good to be able to play something and just like hum along with it and then you know if I play like really well like my daughters are always like oh that sounds good I'm like yeah it's somebody else's song don't worry <laughs> Folks, the song Tommy
0: is referencing is Beneath by Memorial. Check it out. It's one of the best songs ever. Honestly, it's really one of the best songs ever. But yeah, it was good to play, and we did it all, Tommy. We played songs we wrote. We did the jam thing where we just come up with stuff. I came up with one of the best little riffs I've ever played. We were making a bunch of noise with synths. It was wild. Could you imagine if I was in a band again that played shows, Tommy?
1: I would come see it. Well, I hope so. But I mean, you know, I think that's one of the things that I have the hardest time with, like, with being in a band is I want that instantaneous, like, everybody's a fan of us. We're done. <laughs> Why? <laughs> like the hard because the hard work is so hard. It's that that the hard work is the most fun part. I don't think it is. <laughs> it, it, it's the the touring, the being away from your family, the being away from what's comfortable, being away from like it, it, that to me is.
0: Well yeah, we're too devastated. old for that. Yeah. So the the life of a musician out on the road is not for us, but Tommy, the life of big time podcasters is here for us now and we will look back on these times as the best times we ever had. <laughs> right now. I hope I want a nicer chair. Oh yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can we can get that done. I was yeah, I was talking to uh when the mics were off, I was talking to the boys about Tommy's Sad setup in the basement. You go down the stairs and there, there's just a couch and a tiny little TV tray that he somehow fits the laptop and blue microphone on. Yes. And me, I have this giant drafting desk with multiple computers and a giant monitor. Well, it's not a giant monitor. A big enough monitor. And I have the the arm, the extending arm for the microphone. And soon I'm going to have a high-powered gaming desktop with all the weirdo lights and One of those keyboards that glows, and it's going to be crazy. We need to get you the same setup, Tommy.
1: Well, uh, anybody that's out there that's listening, and if you want to send that to me, uh, my address...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. But what I'm saying, Tommy, is in the future, when we're big-time broadcasters, we'll look back on these times where we struggled as the best times. When I painstakingly spent 10 hours editing together the show by hand, and... uh, made posts every day on social media and struggled and scraped and came up with uh, content for us to talk about.
1: Wait, now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you get any trick-or-treaters last year?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got a lot. Even last year? Yeah, during COVID, we had a bunch. Wow. Um, well, we did the thing where we set up in the driveway and... I brought the fire pit from out back and then set the fire pit up in the driveway. And at the end of the driveway, I put like the candy bowl and anybody that walked by, I was like, Hey guys. And they were like, Hey, trick or treaters. Boom. Take whatever you want. Do you know what would be
0: a good accompaniment to that setup this year? What's that? My Halloween sounds terrifying cassette tape. (laughs) Why don't you like the tape? Why do you, you don't like the seasons, Tommy? You hate traditions?
1: I, that's, a, that's a bit of a leap in logic, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I don't hate the seasons. I just... Uh, my thing is, like... Halloween at my house is such a pain in the ass because my kids always want to make their Halloween costumes. Yeah. So we just spend a lot of time with a hot glue gun and cutting things out and shaping things and making things. So
0: you like the Halloween sounds cassette tape. You just don't like making Halloween costumes by hand.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Okay. And this comes that. back to the cheapy stuff. Like I literally like, you know, we went to Michael's and was like, all right, let's get some felt. Let's get some poster board from the dollar store. Let's make some costumes, whatever you want to be. And they, chose. I constantly think about ways that I can save money. Yeah, no, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Evelyn is a donut, Eleanor is a Hershey bar, and the baby is going to be a gumball machine.
0: Now, did all the kids plan to be sweets separately, or was this a themed costume idea for all of them?
1: Yeah, so they, no, they planned this out as a group. Uh, The baby obviously didn't, but she just kind of gets pulled along with what's ever happening. But, yeah, no, so Evelyn's first idea was they were going to be Dunkin' Donuts coffee, a Dunkin' Donuts donut, and the uh, the the baby was going to be a munchkin
0: <laughs>
1: and it was like oh that's cute and we kind of went off that idea because we were like all right well let's let's see what this looks like and we found a bunch of costumes that you know we could make um and then Ellie was like i don't really like coffee i don't want to be a coffee i was like all right let's figure something else out so we ended up with donut candy and gumball machine gumball machine was pure like pinterest from my wife she was like well we can do this one.
0: Well, that sounds nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that was it. That was good. There was no more to that sentence. I'm sorry.
0: All right, well, that's it. We're out of time. So make sure you tune back in next week. Now, I'm going to do something unprecedented, Tommy. I'm going to drop some hints about next week because we're very excited about our guest. It's a return guest, and this guest will be promoting their upcoming record, which I would say is our favorite record of the year thus far, and likely for the entire year. Oh shit, is it Halloween Sounds? <laughs> <laughs> it is the creator of the Halloween Sounds tape, Vincent Price. No, um, you know who I'm talking about. Oh, Of course. Yeah, we're very excited, and you're going to be excited too. So buckle up, we're going to be back, and you're going to be here, because we're in this together. What do you think of that, Tommy.
1: I, I can't say anything else because I know who it is and I want to, like, I feel like I'm going to blurt out what it is. So I'm going to stop yeah, talking. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, or like you'll I, like veer off into one of your Tommy things where I know you don't have shit to say. Yeah. And you're I got, just, well, like, no,
1: I, I literally have nothing right now. So words dude, are just
0: spilling out and I'm like, he's got nothing.
1: I have nothing. no,
0: I get, how could somebody with so little to say be saying so much right
1: now? Cause we have to <laughs> fill up time. <laughs> I'm looking at the timer right now and that's all I'm thinking about. Yeah, we're down to our last second. So that's it. We had a great time.
0: Thank you, Josh and John, for coming on the show. We'll be back next week. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time. As matter of fact, it was.